As we begin today, may I remind us of the truths that we learned in an earlier message where the Lord Jesus described for us the very specific reasons and purposes that he came to this earth. In chapter 4 of this book of Luke, which we studied just a few weeks ago, beginning in verse 18, Jesus told us the exact purposes for which he came. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, yes, Jesus did a lot of other things, and he came for other reasons, but these in particular were the ones that you might recall as he was sitting there in that synagogue. He stood up and he read these out of the book of Isaiah. These are very special anointed purposes. Now, too many preachers these days use these words to preach sermons on social issues that are taking place in our culture. But we must remind ourselves that none of these purposes that I just read are truly social in nature. While some social needs might have been met as Jesus ministered to the people, the intention of his anointed ministry was, and it still is today, to reach straight to the soul of a person. To reach straight to the soul of a person. These words that I just read, to preach the gospel to the poor, they're not making reference to those who are economically poor. These words speak about the poor in spirit, the same poor in spirit that's spoken about in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. These are the ones, these are the ones who know that they are needy in matters of the soul. And then also the, the words to heal the brokenhearted. They speak about those whose hearts have been broken by their sins. And they realize that they are desperately in need of being reconciled to God. The captives spoken of here, they are those who are held in bondage to their own sinful nature. And the blind spoken about here are those who cannot see the truths of God because of the blindness that's put upon their eyes by the world and especially by the devil. We're told there in, uh, in the scriptures that he blinds our eyes. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed is to free up those who cannot see a way out from under their sinful burdens, their suffering and their grief. And then to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is a jubilee, folks. This is a jubilee like those times spoken about in the Old Testament. When all debts are settled and everything that once was ours but somehow got lost along the way is returned to us and it becomes ours again. I look forward to that jubilee. Jesus came to restore us, you and me, back to the life that mankind once knew back there in the Garden of Eden. Those days when sin did not control our thoughts and our behaviors. And because the Lord Jesus was here for those specific reasons, then the miracles that he performed were also very intentional and very purposeful towards those ends. And especially 
those miracles that had to do with the healing of sicknesses and crippling diseases. Listen to this account of one of those such healings given to us in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. And it happened when he, this is the Lord Jesus, was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and he implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be cleaned. Immediately, the leprosy left the man. And Jesus charged him then to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and to make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Over the three or so years that the Lord Jesus ministered to the people, he performed many different kinds of miracles, most of which, though, usually involved the physical needs of those that he healed. He had great compassion on the people for their suffering. But foremost, listen, foremost within all of his miracles of healing was his desire to intervene in matters of people's souls. Jesus knew well that it would be far better for a person to go into heaven crippled or maimed than to not go there at all. But it was also true that very often the two were inseparably linked. And it remains so today. Physical illnesses can often be directly linked to our lifestyles. Not always, no, but very often, very often, physical illnesses can be directly linked to our lifestyle. Now, while there's no mention that this man's leprosy was in any way associated with sin that the man had committed, throughout these scriptures, and especially in the Old Testament, sin and the disease of leprosy are often linked as one. We find that to be so with Moses' sister, Miriam. We also see that with Elisha's servant, Gehazi. Because of his sin, he suddenly came down with leprosy. King Uzziah, you might recall, went into the temple and did things he was not supposed to do. And he was struck then, smitten with leprosy. All of these and many more were smitten with leprosy because of a particular sin that they had committed. And we also find in these scriptures that a person with leprosy was not only sick and diseased, they were also considered to be unclean. Unclean and unfit to be among other people. And as a leper would walk along the streets, they were required to call out, unclean, unclean. And yes, their disease might have been contagious, but that was not the reason. That was not the reason that they had to announce their uncleanness. They were also considered to be spiritually unclean. And they were able to contaminate other people spiritually. And that wasn't just something that the scribes and the Pharisees thought up. That comes right out of Scripture. Right out of Scripture. A leper was not permitted to enter into a temple and worship because their presence would defile the temple. And even those people who tended to a leper's needs, they were prohibited from 
entering into a temple until a period of cleansing had taken place in their life. And it all had to do with spiritual uncleanness rather than physical disease. This man in today's passage that Jesus healed was said to be full of leprosy. And by Jesus' instructions for him to go and show himself to the priest and to make an offering for his cleansing, those words give some implication that this man's leprosy probably was as a result of sin. And even while we can't know that for sure, we can see that Jesus was using this circumstance for that purpose. Folks, there really is no other disease quite like leprosy. The utter devastation and misery that it brings not only to a person's body, but also what it does to a person's emotional and mental state of being. It's awful. But I do think that in our generation, we've been able to come close to that kind of utter corruption and misery with some of our more modern forms of devastating sin-inflicted habits. I recall some years ago watching an episode on the television of a program, Cops. In that program, the policeman had arrested a 35-year-old woman for drug possession and for sale of methamphetamines. And because of her use of those drugs, the physical and the mental condition of this dear woman could only be described as utter devastation. Her face was all drawn and had this ashen pallor. Her eyes were sunken and showed almost no life. Her body showed signs of malnutrition. And as she talked to the policeman, she had very little personality left within her soul. The policeman turned and showed the woman's driver's license to the camera. And he asked when the picture on the license had been taken. She told the policeman about three years earlier. Folks, the picture on that driver's license was of a vibrant and beautiful 35-year-old woman who was at that time a school teacher. Sin and the effects of a sinful lifestyle can be utterly devastating. And so it seems also for a person, as we're reading about here, who suffered from this disease of leprosy. I'd like for you to bear with me for a moment about this disease of leprosy. Because for me, leprosy, with all of its destructive effects, can serve as an excellent allegory, parallel in its effects to that of many of our forms of sin today. For me, leprosy is a graphic image that helps me to be able to visualize the true nature and the destructiveness that sin can wreak upon a person, both on their body and especially on their soul. I recall watching a program on TV about a leper colony, and it showed up close, these folks that were devastated by leprosy, and how their skin was rotting off of their bodies. They were required to stay within a colony and not go out into the public. The rotting flesh that takes place on a leper's body leaves no doubt as to that person's horrible condition. But also, such is so with the awful effects that unbridled sin can have upon a person's soul and even their body. Every part of a person's being, physically, 
mentally, emotionally, and especially spiritually, show the effects of their sin. This disease of leprosy alienates its victims from other people. So much so that no one desires to have any form of close relationship with them. Not even so much as a gentle hug. And it seems to only find its true fellowship with members of its own kind. And so they stay in a colony together. They live as outcasts from society. Unloved. Separated from everyone. Except their own kind. And again... Those are the same effects as sin. Sin divides and it separates even the dearest of loved ones. And again, as with leprosy, those that are caught up in sin seem only to find fellowship with those of like minds with them. An adulterer seeks out and finds other adulterers. Pornographers especially. Pornographers seek out and find other pornographers. Party lovers and drinkers and drug addicts. They hang out with each other. Those of their own kind. And so also it is with thieves, liars, gossipers. Gossipers love to gravitate towards other gossipers and spend time with them. Slanderers do the same thing. And it goes on and on. All forms of sin. But again, in this instance, with this man with leprosy. Again, we don't know that for sure if leprosy was a result of sin or not. But because Jesus gave him this instruction to go to the priest and show himself to the priest to show that he had been cleansed, does bespeak that Jesus was saying that sin was involved with his leprosy. Now, one note to observe with this instruction to go and show himself to a priest It's the fact that a priest cannot, does not, have the ability to actually cleanse a leper from their sin. They can only witness as to whether or not that leper has leprosy or has been cleansed. One person and one only can actually do the complete cleansing. And that's the one who can forgive sins. And that's the Lord Jesus. That is the Lord Jesus. Look with me again back at verse 12 for a moment. Verse 12, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Here we find the leper asking Jesus if he was willing to heal him. And Jesus answered, Yes, I am willing What a precious answer. That again confirms the purpose for which Jesus came among us. He came to cleanse us not only from our diseases, but from every sin within us. And then to restore us to the image of the invisible God who created us. We were created in His image. And He came to restore us to that perfect condition. To be that perfect creature that first stood there in the Garden of Eden, of whom God was able to say, this is very good, very good. Those first creatures, Adam and Eve, they were perfect, truly perfect in every way. They were perfect physically, they were perfect mentally, they were perfect emotionally, and especially they were perfect 
spiritually. And Jesus came for the purpose of restoring people, you and me, to that first condition. And may I declare to you today that he has done exactly that. He has done exactly that. Now your response or other people's response may be, but oh no, no, he did not do that. He hasn't yet. Just look at all the sin that takes place around us. And I agree. But folks, listen, something very special has really taken place. In coming and dying on the cross, Jesus has actually put temptation and sin back in their rightful place. For those of us who truly do receive Christ as our Savior and our Lord, He restores us to that condition that's much like the condition of Adam and Eve, the condition that they enjoyed when they were first created. In that in their first condition, Adam and Eve had the ability and had the privilege of being able to make the choice of whether to sin or not to sin. And now you and I, if we have Christ as our Savior, living in our heart, then we can make that same choice. We need to remind ourselves that before we were saved, we had no such choice available to us. We were just like that leper who had no ability within himself to heal his devastated condition. And so it is with those who are unsaved. These scriptures tell us clearly that an unsaved person really does not have the ability to say no to sin and to save themselves. Sin is the absolute master, the Lord, over an unsaved soul. Listen to these words. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 5. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. I want to reread verses 7 and 8 again. And listen carefully to these words. So very important for us to understand. The sinful mind, the unsaved mind, is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. And listen to these words nor can it do so. The sinful mind is controlled by the sinful nature. It cannot. It does not have the ability to reach out and to pursue after God. Romans chapter 3 says that there is no one who seeks after Him. No one. Why? It's because we don't have the ability to do that as unsaved people. The unsaved person does not submit to God's law, nor Can they do so? Remember the definition of the word can. It speaks of ability. Does not have the ability to do that. Too many preachers in today's pulpits are saying that all you have to do is decide on your own to receive Jesus. It doesn't work that way. These words tell us so. The sinful mind cannot on its own decide it wants Christ. These words They express the total depravity that's present within us when we are without Christ. An unsaved soul does not even perceive that they're being controlled by sin or that they need to be cleansed from it. Just as that leper was full of leprosy, so also, folks, without Christ, 
We are full of sin. We are full of sin. And contrary to what some might believe and teach, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no inborn sense within a person's soul telling them about sin and righteousness and judgment. John chapter 16 tells us how we are told about sin and righteousness and judgment. It comes only from God's Holy Spirit. Jesus said those very words. He said, when he, the helper, comes, he will convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. Otherwise, we don't have the ability, no inborn sense, to make a decision on our own to save ourselves. Now, yes, a person who's being made miserable by the effects of their sin, they know something's wrong. But they truly do not understand sin's meaning or its cure. It's only as God's Holy Spirit enters into a person's soul, their heart, their mind, that they're able to discern their condition and their need. God's Spirit and God's Spirit alone revealed sin. We're told that specifically in 1 Corinthians 2. Listen to these words, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 2. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit within us has to be able to interpret that for us. May I say again, neither the wisdom of men nor some inborn sense within men can discern sin or righteousness, or judgment. Only the Spirit of God living within a person can do that. And the Holy Spirit then does not rest just in merely revealing those sins to us. He puts this powerful conviction within our souls that drives us to want to be rid of our sin. That's what causes us to turn to Christ. In His conviction of us, He reminds us that it is Christ and Christ alone who can cleanse us from our uncleanness. No priest, no preacher, no church, no church attendance, no amount of Christian service or good works can cleanse us from sin. It's not one of those scales, as so many people think, that if you do enough good works, it'll offset your sins. That's not the way it works. Only the blood of Christ is able to cleanse us from sin. Now, with that being said, we're also, though, to do as Jesus instructed this leper. We are to go back to the temple, which is our, in our case, is the church. And we're to demonstrate to all who are there that we are new creatures in Christ. That's a very important instruction that Jesus gave this man. We're to go back into our temple, our church, and demonstrate to all those around that we are new creatures in Christ. And we're to keep going there and showing ourselves to the church because why? It's because there is where we'll find our fellowship. Just as a leper found fellowship only in that colony of other lepers. And just as those thieves and drunkards and adulterers and pornographers find fellowship with their kind, you and I are to find fellowship with our kind, those who are saved. Now, yes, we might in compassion, go back and minister to those who are suffering that we were associated with in our sin. But we must never go back and become one with them. Never again. 
We've been cleansed from our sins. And we're changed into the image of Christ. And we're to show ourselves as being so by separating ourselves out from the sinful behaviors and the sinful conduct that we used to involve ourselves in. We're to separate unto the gospel. A simple truth is being given to us in this word. And that truth is that you and I must allow Jesus to not only be our Savior, you and I are to also allow Him to be our Lord. Lord of everything we do. Lord of our thoughts. Lord of our behaviors. Lord over our habits. Jesus must not only be our Savior, He must also be our Lord. Now finally, here in these last words, Jesus also instructed this man to tell no one about his healing, but to only show himself to the priests. Now if that leper had honored what Jesus had instructed him to do, how did the report of his healing, his cleansing, get around to the community? I'd like to suggest that when a person is changed, whether it be physically, spiritually, or both, and especially spiritually, other people take notice of it. If God truly changes you, others will notice that that change has taken place. And they'll tell other people about it. And it's my prayer for each of us today that you and I will invite the Lord Jesus to not only be our Savior, but to also be our Lord. Lord over our daily behaviors and daily life. And then, folks, that word will go out about us to our friends our families, our neighbors, about a wonderful change that's taken place within our souls. Listen to these words as we close. The leper said to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and he touched him. And he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. Let's pray.